Let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Let's pray together. Father, it is, it is good to sing your praise. You are worthy of praise. For those of us that know you, our hearts are crying out right now of your worth. We are impressed with your provision of a Savior. And we look forward to the day that we will not only sing about beholding you and the ruling, reigning Savior Jesus, but we will be in a direct way understanding and sensing and being exposed to a far greater measure of your glory. We look forward to that day. And while we wait, we know that you still reign and you still rule, that you are just as glorious now as you will be that day when we see you with our eyes. Help us this morning as we continue to worship you, that we would draw near to you, that we would set aside those things that might be distracting to our minds, yielding our will to your will. Spirit of God, please do your work of teaching us. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone is searching for their own way in this world. Some choose paths that we are comfortable with and can commend, while others choose clearly difficult and unfulfilling pathways. The Bible makes statements about people's way in Proverbs 14 and 16. The same exact statement is, is mentioned twice. I think God might be trying to make a point with this. He says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 13 says something uh, different, but it has the same idea of this waywardness of mind. The way of the treacherous is their ruin. And the King James Version really kind of put, puts a, an exclamation point, same exact uh, text just translated differently it says the way of the transgressor is hard the way of the transgressor is hard people have their own way about them are there right and wrong ways are there right and wrong ways is there something like right and wrong the world seems to indicate that there are no wrong ways Unless you tell others the right way, because that won't be tolerated. The world seems unable, the world seems unable at this point to understand basic anatomy and anatomical differences between men and women. An inordinate amount of time has been spent trying to figure out which restroom 
people should be allowed into. It's such an issue that the president, with not a whole lot more term in office, had to spend time issuing a policy concerning which bathroom you, sir, or you, ma'am, should be allowed into. Now, this is not the subject of the message, so don't, don't misunderstand. We're not going to be talking about bathrooms and transgender issues. But this is the confusion amidst which we live. We live in a confused world. The Attorney General made a statement concerning the new policy of the President, and here's, the, here's what she said, or wrote, I don't know. I'm not sure if this is text or speech. There is no room in our schools for discrimination of any kind. Well, that's a lie. If I went in there with my Bible and started preaching Jesus, I'd be discriminated against. Just saying. There is no room in our schools for discrimination in, of any kind, including discrimination against transgender students on the basis of their sex. Now, their sex has been determined long before they were confused because all they had to do, and, I'm, and again, I'm sorry to just be so frank, is they just needed to look at their parts and figure out what you are. It's not confusing at all. Like, these have been in textbooks. There are little diagrams. When you go into the doctor's office, they show all this stuff. This is a boy. You know, it's so interesting that when a, a lady is pregnant, guys can't do that. Did you know that? Anyone? Guys can't do that. When a lady goes into the obstetrician's office, and at the right time, they get out that nice little ultrasound machine, and they put the stuff on there, and they rub it on the belly. They look in there. At a certain time, they can tell you with very small degree, a very small degree of error, whether that's a boy or a girl. The baby hasn't even come out yet, and they know what it is. But we want to make it confusing. Oh, I mean, I mean clear. I mean, what am I saying anyway? <laughs> this, is, this is the confused world we live in. The statement goes on. This guidance gives administrators, teachers, and parents the tools they need to protect transgender students from peer harassment and to identify and address unjust School policies. Now, I don't know about you, and, and again, this sermon, we're going to move on from this in just a moment. And I didn't bring this up to get on a soapbox. It's, it really has to do with what we're talking about. Does anyone know, like, the rate, the rape rate in this country? Anyone familiar with that? Like, it's, it's not good. Like, there's a lot of rape that goes on. Like, some of, some of the rape that goes on involves the school ages that we're talking about. So we're going to protect the few who are confused because no one will teach them what anatomy means. And we're going to expose a bunch of people to predators so that we can protect these. We're going to unprotect a bunch more to protect these that just need some anatomy lessons. 
This is not good. This is the world among which we live. Does the Bible give us any clue whether there are right and wrong ways? Jesus seems to indicate that there are right and wrong ways. He said that there is a wide, easy way. Anyone know the rest of that? It leads to destruction. He also said that there is a narrow, hard way that leads to life. Which way are you choosing, friend? Everything is accepted. You can call yourself whatever you want to call yourself, and you're fine. So long as you don't call yourself a follower of Jesus, not so fine in that light. Amidst so much confusion in our day, I want to help us focus on something meaningful, profitable, and simple. And that is that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life. We want to look in the Gospel of John beginning in chapter 13, verse 31. John 13, 31. We're going to read right through chapter 14 and verse 10. And in this passage, as we navigate through and consider and meditate and worship through, we want to notice four provisions of Jesus. Four provisions of Jesus. Beginning in verse 31 of John 13. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, 
Show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in, is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. This is the text that we'll consider this morning. And we want to notice four provisions of Jesus from this text. First of all, Jesus provides his life as the ultimate martyr. Jesus provides his life as the ultimate martyr. We see that in John 13, 31 to 38. Now it's not explicit, but it is certainly implied. He says in verse 33, and then again in verse 36, this statement, where I am going, you cannot come. This is the third time in the Gospel of John that Jesus had said this. He said it in John chapter 7 and verse 34. He said it again in John chapter 8. Jesus in John 7 and 8 is speaking about going to the Father. You cannot come. I'm going, and he says, I'm going to the Father. You can't come with me there. So as we look at this third rendition of this in the Gospel of John and Jesus unveiling it here specifically to his disciples, what is he referring to in this text? Where is he going? What is the way? Why can't his disciples go now? Why would they be able to go later? Does this text answer these questions? The answer to that is yes, and we will, we will answer these questions from the text as we go along. But before we get into those questions and answers, we know from the testimony of Scripture what Jesus needed to endure before he went away. Before he goes ultimately to the Father, which, ding, 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 there's the answer to where he's going. He's going to the Father. Before he goes to the Father, he must endure a process. That process would include what? Rejection. Mocking. Beating. Crucifixion. Death. All of these would be included before Jesus ever went to where he's describing he is headed. No one else could walk that path with him. That pathway was a pathway that the Son of Man, the God-man, had to tread all alone. Jesus introduces this concept of going away. But where is he going? He's going somewhere. And they couldn't come with him. Jesus provided his life as the ultimate martyr why the ultimate martyr? Because no one else could bear your sin for you. No one else could substitute themselves for you, paying for your sin and providing you with eternal life. Jesus is the ultimate martyr. 
another way to describe it, this martyrdom, is a substitutionary atonement. Instead of you bearing your sin before a holy, just God, Jesus bore your sin before this holy, just God, and he took the wrath of that holy, just God upon himself in the process of his crucifixion and ultimate death and burial. An offering of himself instead of broken sinners. This is what this is. So Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going away. Where I go, you cannot come. But before he goes to where he's headed, that they can't come yet, he needed to endure something that they could not endure with him. And that is his own self-sacrificial, completely atoning death. This is a provision from Jesus. This text conveys to us that Jesus provides life through his ultimate martyrdom. There's a second provision of this text, and that's this. Jesus provides an abiding assurance. Jesus provides an abiding assurance. Look at chapter 14 and verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. That's a direct order. <laughs> That's a direct order. Let not your hearts be troubled. The word troubled there may and probably indicates terror. And I want you to think for a second, and this is hard for us, because we're not there. We're not one of the disciples. You're not one of the fishermen who had a successful fishing industry, and you gave it all up. You left the boat and swam to the shore, left everything that was your well-being, that sustained you and your family and left everything behind to follow Jesus and walked with him for these three plus years and, and you preached him and, and you ministered on his behalf and now Jesus says, I'm going away and your thought was, what? Where's the kingdom? I gave up this for you to just leave me? Are you kidding and Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Now the word trouble there again can indicate terror. It's the same word, troubled, as was used when the, the disciples were in the boat. Remember, and they saw Jesus walking on the water. Of course, like you're thinking, this is great. Jesus is coming. This is, this is wonderful. That's not the way that the story reads. The account reads that they weren't thinking, hey, look at Jesus walking on the water. They said, Peter, you see this? Hey, John, you see what's going on over here? Hey, what, what is that? It says they were in terror because they thought it was a ghost. We're not talking about, hey, don't be, don't be a little anxious because, you know, you only have $17 and you needed 18 talking about dread. My whole life is on the line right now. I gave up everything for this, and he's leaving. And Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Stop. Stop worrying. Now, I commend to you a little skit. 
It's a skit by Bob Newhart. It's really cool. All you have to do, go on Google later today and type in Stop It Skit. I'll tell you a little bit about it, though. Okay? Here's Bob Newhart washing his hands in his office. Some lady comes in. Hello? Hello? I was sent to you by so-and-so. Oh, come on in. I'm just washing my hands. And he says, oh, take a she, she says, should I lay down on the couch? Oh, we don't do that anymore. Take a seat. So he sits down. And he says, before we get into this, let me just go over the billing policies that we have. We don't take insurance. We take cash and check. The first five minutes is $5. It's $0 after five minutes. Oh, Jesus, does, does that seem fair to you? Yeah, it seems almost too good to be true. And he said, well, we find that after this counseling, people don't tend to need more than five minutes. So he says, you, you agree to these terms? Yes. He looked at his watch and he said, go. <laughs> she was a little stunned. Well, um, um, I keep having these re this recurring fear. I, I keep uh, envisioning that I'm going to be buried alive in a box. And, and he said, oh, has anyone tried to do that to you? No. Uh, then what, what's the problem? Well, I, I just keep thinking about being buried alive in a box, and, and, and I can't stop. He, he said, well, right, I'm going to give you two words, two words, and I, I think this will solve the problem. No problem. So she gets out a notepad, and sh should I write it down? Uh, most people we found don't, don't need to write it down. It's, it's just two words I think that you can probably remember. And he says, are you, are you ready? Yes. Stop it! <laughs> this goes on and on and on. And this is his counsel to her. Stop it! <laughs> and he's quite, he's quite vehement about this stopping it bit. Ultimately, he tells her, I, I have ten words for you. You can write this one down. He says, if you don't stop it, I will bury you alive in a box. <laughs> it kind of works out really, really well. What's the point of telling you about this skit, other than that it is hysterically funny if you look it up later and watch it? Um, I didn't tell you just because it would be funny. This is not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't say, stop it! And that's the end of it. Jesus gives the instruction that is necessary to stop it. He says, believe in God. And believe also in me. Now, some of your translations will read it, uh, render it a little bit differently. They'll say, you believe in God, making that a statement of fact. Believe also in me, making that a command. Both of the statements are written exactly the same way in the Greek. They can be both read this way. You believe in God and you also believe in me. It can be read that way. Or it can be read, believe in God, believe also in me. What it probably can't be read at as, you believe in God, believe also in me. So the same, same language and that translation takes this one as a command 
and this one is a, oh, excuse me, this one has a state, statement of fact, and this one is a command. That's not good language interpretation or translation. Same text, translated the same way. Either you believe in God and you also believe in me, or believe in God, believe also in me. I would prefer the latter because he's saying, don't let your hearts be overwhelmed. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Here's the solution. Believe in God. Believe in me. This will solve your anxiety. And yet, so many, that is not satisfying. Oh, oh yeah, yes, but, but what else? Yes, yes, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But what else do I need? And I'm telling you that Jesus answered that question. You don't need anything else. It's enough. Show us the Father and it will suffice us. Oh, you've seen the Father. I'm right here. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Believe in God. Believe in me. Jesus gives plain speech to solve their problems. Take a look at a couple of passages of Scripture that will really drive this point home for us. First of all, John 14, you're already there, verse 27. John 14, 27, the Bible says, and Jesus speaks, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So he he reminds them of the start of chapter 14 by saying, I'm giving you not your peace. I'm giving you my peace. Listen, that's, that's a real solution. Your peace? You know what your peace does? This is your peace. This is my peace. Ready? Woo-woo. I can be peaceful now, and then I'm back in the dump. I'm, oh, everything's good. No. Oh, I can muster myself. And, oh, I'm down here. This is what my peace does, not Jesus' peace. Jesus' peace is like this. And what he offers you is his peace. Take a look a little further, please, at the book of Philippians, chapter 4. Paul hits it from a different angle to help us to understand Jesus' peace, this supernatural peace, this peace that is unwavering no matter the circumstance, this peace that is enough for you regardless of what you face, this peace that will not waver under any crush of any turmoil. Paul gives us insight as to how that peace is experienced. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, the Bible says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, is that different than my peace that Jesus offers? I'm pretty sure, you know, I know that there are three members of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, but I also know that they are co-equal. So when it says the peace of God, and Jesus says my peace, the peace is not any different. The peace of God, verse 7, which surpasses, what? All understanding. What's the next word? Will. God doesn't leave us to mystery in some of these things. We are just very 
prone to, well, I hope and I think and maybe. And God says, everything, anything, all of it. It'll surpass all your understanding. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will, not might, will guard your hearts or minds, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here Paul is taking Jesus' statement. Now, he didn't actually expose it or exposit it, but he really is certainly a, it's an outflow of Jesus' statement. My peace I give to you. My peace will, will be with you. He, he's really telling us this is the way you access or experience that peace. Trust me. Believe me. Isn't that what it means to take your every thought and, and your every trouble and bring it before God with thanksgiving? Isn't that what he's saying? Whatever your trial is, whatever your anxiety is, bring it to him with thanksgiving. And you know what will guard your heart? Not your frail, fickle peace. God's unwavering, perfect peace will be a, a watchdog for your soul. Now, another passage of Scripture that really helps to, to see it a little bit further, and it's a familiar passage, Galatians chapter 5. For context's sake, we'll read verse 16, and then we're going to jump right down to verse 22. Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Look down at verse 22. But the fruit or the demonstration of the Spirit is love, joy, now, what member of the Godhead is bringing forth this fruit? Now, Jesus offers you peace. In Philippians 4, the Father, God, offers you peace. Here in Galatians 5, the Spirit offers you peace. The whole Trinity is on your side to give you peace. Let me ask you a question. It's just, do you think he can do it? think he can do it? He can. He can do this. Friends, in the face of impossible circumstances, God's people can have true, enduring peace. This does not result from a strong self-will, but from an omnipotent God dwelling in us. You believe this? Do you? Head back to John 14. We're going to continue to see the provision of our Savior Jesus in this text. First in verses 31 to 38 of chapter 13, Jesus provides life as our ultimate martyr, as the ultimate martyr. Secondly, Jesus provides a, an enduring assurance, a lasting peace, a supernatural peace, a peace that passes all understanding. Just by way of really applying this, friends, that means that the trouble is still there because a trouble that's gone doesn't necessitate a surpassing peace. The trouble many times stays and God gives us a supernatural surpassing peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus provides real enduring peace. Thirdly, Jesus provides a place for his people. 
as much as I'd love to talk about, the, about all the details in verses 2 and 3, um, our thought, we want to make sure that we're covering the, the big picture of why this is here, not the minutia of what it means about the future. Jesus provides a place for his people. Look at verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Now, in verse 2, Jesus answers one of our earlier questions, which is this. Where is he going? Where is he going? His father's house. So we have the, the answer to where he's going. This text also gives us an answer to why the disciples couldn't go quite yet. What's the answer to that? It's not prepared. It's not prepared. I go to prepare a place for you. We'll talk about that more in a few minutes. Then in verse 3, he answers another of our questions. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Now we know why they would go later. Why would they go later? Because Jesus would come and get them. Jesus would bring them there. So it, it begs a few questions of us as we consider this. How did Jesus prepare this place? Was it hard for him? How long did it take? <laughs> These are interesting questions. But I want to answer those questions a little bit with another question. Do you remember how long it took him to make the world and everything contained in it? Remember? Hello? Six days, not like six day age theories that lasted eons of time so that we can try to deal with the evolutionists and try to come up with a mediating position. No, Genesis talks about night and evening with the first day, night and evening with the second day, night and evening the third day, night and evening the fourth day. You know, you got that pattern? Not just day. Day can mean an eon. Day can mean an age. Not when it has a, an adjective before it. First day, second day, third day. And also not when God says morning and evening. That's 24 hours, folks. How long did it take for God to create everything? Six days. Let me go out on a limb here. He could have done it in one. Yes? I, th I don't think I'm going out on too much of a limb to say he could have done it in one. Um, the place to be prepared, listen carefully, was not about fixing up heaven. So it would be a suitable abode for royalty like us. Instead, it was about purifying us so we would be able to abide in the perfection of heaven that is the abode of God. Friends, he didn't have to do any work in heaven to fix it. It's been glorious. It is the abode of God. There are no shortcomings there. Going to prepare a place for us is, is more, I think you can view it a little bit differently, like, I'm going to reserve your spot. 
I'm going to save you a seat. I'm going to save you a space after I make you fit. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15? This is such a glorious passage. Now, this particular verse is maybe a little um, shocking to us the first time we read it, but it's the absolute truth. In 1 Corinthians 15, 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable which is then he goes on to say, so I, I want to tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. <gasps> I'm reserving a spot for you, but first I've got I've to be able to change you. First I have to make you a, a suitable resident of the glories and perfection of my father's abode. So it's not about Jesus getting out the tool bag and the hammer, fixing you up a really pretty apartment room up in heaven. It's about him laying down his life, taking your sin, forever removing it from you so that it has no, no claim on you and you have no claim on it. And placing upon you perfect righteousness that only comes through him. What did Jesus do in order to prepare our, us our spot in glory? Well, Paul answers that question pretty sweetly in 2 Corinthians 5. In verse 17, which is not on the screen, he says, um, Anyone who is in Christ is a what new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. At the end of that passage, he says this. For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin. Who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That, friends, is a suitable resident of heaven. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus provides a place for me. How? By laying down his life, bearing my sin, and granting me real righteousness that lasts forever. This is what Jesus provides. It's not about a pretty apartment or a beautiful mansion. Friends, you won't care what the pillows look like in heaven. You don't care if someone fluffs it up and puts a little mint on it, folds them down, takes down, and, and makes sure that the bathroom is all clean. This, you don't need a bathroom in heaven. You're going to be in the, the residence of God. You're going to see the one who spoke the world into existence. You're going you're to meet the one who said, I want you, and I'll lay down my life for you. That's what you're going to see. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go again... If I go away, I will come again, and I'll take you where I am. That where I am, there you may be forever with me. This, this is your Jesus. This is what he does. He gives life, offering himself as the ultimate martyr. He gives real, enduring peace. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
I go to prepare a place for you. I have, I have something for you. I'm going to prepare you for that place. There's a fourth provision of Jesus in this text. And it's very similar. I probably could have combined points three and four. Homileticians would crucify me for having two points that are too closely aligned. Point number four. Jesus provides eternal peace and a dwelling with God in his fullness. See, you needed all those words. You did. You needed all those words to really get the sense of what else Jesus is doing here. Jesus provides eternal peace and a dwelling place with God in his fullness. Look at verses 4 and following. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Isn't that how he said it? <laughs> I don't even know where you're headed. How can I know the way if I don't know where you're going? Jesus kindly passionately, truthfully, I don't know, but kindly for sure, answers, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you'd have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And it is enough for you. Now, I would have said, didn't you just listen to me? Isn't that, isn't that what you would say? I'm going to read it again, and I want you to just be brutally honest. Ready? Verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip says to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is enough for us. I, I, do you have time for this? I don't, I don't know. I'm, I, I guess maybe I'm impatient. I just told you, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And now you're asking this. I don't, I, don't, I don't quite get it. But that's not how Jesus does it. He just asks him a question and answers. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. All right. So now we have to try to understand what's going on here. It's pretty, I, I think it's pretty straightforward, right? Jesus, I'm going away. Where is he going? He's going to the Father. Why couldn't they come? Well, the place wasn't prepared. Well, they weren't prepared. He's coming again. They would be there someday. All right. Well, what's the way? Jesus is the one and only way to the Father. Let's, let's look at a couple of verses of Scripture. We'll do this pretty quickly. If you'll follow with me. Ready? Acts chapter 4. Jesus is the one and only way to the Father. In Acts 4.12, the Bible says this. It's a very familiar passage. Hopefully, if you haven't memorized it, I would recommend memorizing 
Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Could, could the apostle have said it any, any clearer than this? He just said what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one come to the Father except by me. Take a look, please, a little further at the book of Hebrews now, chapter 2. I wanted to read a series of passages from the book of Hebrews. We're going to look in chapter 2, chapter 10, and chapter 12. We'll read them. It'll only take us a few moments. As we read them, I want you to consider these concepts. Okay? As we read these passages, I want you to consider these concept, concepts. Jesus is the pioneer, meaning he's the first to tread the path. Secondly, Jesus is the path. He is the way itself. As we tread toward heaven, we are going based upon the work that he has already accomplished. Thirdly, Jesus is the Savior. He carries us across the, bat, the path. Okay, Pioneer, first to tread. Path, the path upon which we tread. Savior, he carries us across the path. Where does that leave us? That leaves us wholly dependent. That leaves us like the little child with the absolutely rip-roaring water. Got to get to the other side somehow. How am I going to get there? Someone's going to have to pioneer that path, lay down a log, but I'm not sure-footed enough. Someone better carry me across that thing. So the pioneer goes forth. He lays a log across the, the rip-roaring stream. He walks back across, picks up the little child in his arms, and says, let's go, son, and goes across. I want you to get this little picture in your head as we read these texts of Scripture. Here in Hebrews 12, uh, chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. But we see him, Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing, carrying many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation pioneer of their salvation, perfect through suffering. So in this text, we have, we have the pioneering and we have the saving, carrying. Okay, we got both of those there. Chapter 10 now. Chapter 10. Verses 19 and 20, please. The Bible says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living, what is it? The new and living way that he opened us up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. You see that he laid down the path. You got the path there? Everyone see the path? Look at chapter 12 now. And verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter or founder and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Are, are we seeing what Jesus has done? He, he, he tread the way, 
Oh, you can't come now. You can't come now. I'm going to go by myself. He made the way. He is the way. And he carries us across the way. Jesus, as the way, provides access to heaven. He didn't just say he was the way. He said he's also the truth. Well, simply stated as the truth, Jesus provides us with a foundation on which to stand. Jesus isn't simply true. He is the truth. He's the source of truth. He's the revelation of truth. And he, through the Spirit of God, illuminates that truth to his people. He didn't just say he was the way and the truth. He also told us he was and is the life. As the life, Jesus provides us with fellowship with God. Do you know everyone born into this world is born spiritually dead? Without the life that Jesus provides for us, we would remain dead in our trespasses and our sin. But God, who is rich in mercy, through his great love with which he loved us, for by grace we have been saved. God intervenes. God. God pioneers. God gives, grants spiritual life. He takes us from dead to alive. Jesus grants life through faith in his truth that provides the way to the Father. Did you hear that? Jesus grants life through faith in his truth that provides the way to the Father. This life awakens us to all the spiritual blessings that are available to God's people. This life that is granted via the life. He has life in himself and he has the power to grant life. We saw that in John 5 last week. He grants life. Jesus provides real blessing. We can't rely upon our own wisdom to direct our own steps. We cannot trudge our own path. Remember in the days of the judges? In those days there were no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. How does that ever work out? It doesn't work out very well. It works out kind of like this. Um, I don't know whether I'm a boy or a girl. Like, that's the, the ultimate difficult end. Like, obviously, not everyone gets to that place of confusion. But ultimately, it, that's what it, it has led to for some people. Like, I'm not speaking ill of these people. I feel bad for them. Like, doesn't your heart break a person is born into this life with a certain anatomy, and they can't figure out whether they're a boy or a girl. I'm not, like, looking down my nose at them, judging them. Oh, you wicked... That's not what I'm saying. They're so confused. Jesus doesn't give that confusion. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is destruction. However, Jesus is the way... He clearly is the truth. And it's only through him because he is the life that we have life. 
the way, the truth, and the life. This is what Jesus gives. He provides us with life by his ultimate martyrdom. He provides us with enduring assurance and peace. He says, believe me, believe me. He provides us a place in heaven. How? Because he he made us fit for heaven by bearing our sin, removing our sin, and granting us eternal righteousness. And fourthly, he provides us with this enduring eternal peace that we can reside in the fullness of God's presence. Because when, when we're talking about being in heaven, we're talking about the fullness of God's expression. You know, the whole world is filled with God's glory. It's a wonderful thing. None of us know what it's like to be separated from God's glory. Someday, some will find out what it's like to be separated from God's glory. When they spend eternity in hell, on the, on the other end of the spectrum, those of us who know Jesus will understand what it's like to be in the fullness of God's glory, which is a, a totally different experience than we have right now. We get little glimpses here and now as we abide in Christ and as the Spirit fills us. We, we have this foretaste of glory divine, but it's not a full inundation. That day's coming. That day's coming. How does it come? Through Christ. I hope, as we conclude our time, I hope that you will leave here with joy in your heart, praise on your lips, peace in your mind. And that praise that's on your lips is not just empty praise, it's full praise. It's a praise that that speaks the gospel to your family, to your church family, to your neighbors and those that that are hopeless at this time. We go with the message. That message is, look at the fullness that can be yours through Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for all you've done. You've given us unfathomable blessings through Jesus. Help us to rejoice in him and to share him with others. In Jesus' name, amen.